In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. My dear brethren, St. Paul, he uh, <clears throat> speaks thus to the Corinthians, we exhort you that you receive not the grace of God in vain. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. So that's the first epistle of the first, the first lines of the first epistle of the first Sunday in Lent. And it's with these words that the church bids us enter this holy time of Lent with the right dispositions. So Mother Church has assigned several weeks in the year, Lent, which in the old days, people harp back to the old days and think times were better. Well, in the old days, these, all the weeks of Lent, carried the obligation of to fast and abstain every day from all meat and from all animal products. So no eggs, no, no butter, no cheese. So Lent was quite a grueling time for Catholics. It was a time of serious penance, but also of prayer and reflection. Because the church would have us reflect on our condition. Lent began with the reminder that we are but dust, and unto dust we will return. This is a long meditation about death. We're reminded through the ashes that we receive on Ash Wednesday that we're mortal creatures. We're destined to die, and we're destined to appear before God, our Creator, and our Redeemer, to whom we owe everything. And we're going to have to give a full account of our every moment, and we're going to have to describe to God how we have used our life, which he first gave us, and then which he had to redeem for us, because we lost it, how we've used our life for the purpose for which he gave it to us. Why did God give us life? Why did he make us to know, love, and serve him in this world, to be happy with him in the next? It's the second question of the catechism. God made us for himself, not as if he were some sort of slave master to be amused by us or to play with us. But he made us in order to share with us his eternal beatitude and glory. He made us so that he could share with us his own happiness. And he wants us to enjoy his own happiness. And thus he, he gave us free will so that we can love him and so that he can reward that love with the gift of himself to us. So our creation is not about God at all, really. it's all about us. We're the ones who are wonderfully advantaged by our very existence. God wishes to share himself with us. All he asks is that we honor him and live in accordance with his instructions and directives it's, it's really quite simple, the mission we have. 
In the breviary, we are reading the book of Genesis, and we know the story well. Sadly, our first parents decided to follow their own will rather than God's will. So they used their gifts, and in particular, the great gift of free will, which allows us to enjoy God's happiness. They used it to not to turn themselves towards God, but to turn away from God in order to follow their own path. And thus they destroyed the loving relationship they had with God. And it was all their doing. And sometimes silly people say, well, God should have made them so that they could not misuse their free will. Well, if he had made us like that so that we could not misuse our free will, we would be grazing in the fields with the rest of the cattle because that's what we would be, mere cattle. Because the cattle, the cows and the, the, the sheep in the fields, they, they never misuse their free will because they have none. <laughs> so Adam and Eve, they were in a state of disobedience by which they forfeited all that God had made available to them, and most especially sanctifying grace, whereby we, mere creatures, are made capable of sharing in the supernatural joys of heaven. We are uh, made capable of sharing in God's happiness. And lest we blame Adam and Eve for our present state, oh, if only they hadn't sinned, while well, our own sins remind us that we would not have fared any better in the garden of paradise. We are just as guilty as our first parents. And so the church would have us dwell on our fallen condition. Spiritually speaking, we are poor beggars. Utterly dependent on God's mercy for forgiveness. And yet, we continue to sin. And we complain and we grumble and we, we sometimes think when the going's tough that God isn't treating us fairly. We think that our relatively benign efforts at betterment should win for us better treatment, an easier path or fewer crosses or greater inner peace. And the truth is when we feel like that, and when we feel that God is pushing us a little too hard, asking a little too much of us, the truth is we are accommodating ourselves to sin, to our own sins, the fact of our own sins, and the sins that are committed around us. And we are failing to grasp the seriousness of sin. Imagine the chaos that would ensue if one of the trillions, just, just one, of the trillions of stars in the sky, in the universe, in the heavens, decided to act of its own accord and deviate from its path and purpose. It would be Armageddon. It would be the end of all things. Perhaps how the end of all things, that's how the end of all things is going to happen. And yet in the moral universe, just as real as the physical universe, the moral universe, men choose their own paths, 
they set their own purpose in life in defiance of God's will as defined by natural law and divine revelation. And we think that there won't be any consequences. So our Lord, he came to mop up the mess. The mess to which we've all contributed. The church would have us think about that. We are sinners. Our Lord came as humanity's new captain in his human nature. And in his human, as, as a man, he knelt before God to beg pardon for his brothers and to make appropriate reparation. And remember, our sins, they mock God's sovereign majesty. And, and thus they constitute an offense of infinite proportion. We've just slapped God in the face. Not our friend, not our enemy, not our neighbor, God. It's serious business. And no one but a divine person can make adequate reparation and thus free us of our guilt. We can't make proper reparation. And St. Paul here will write a few lines later after this epistle to, to, to the Corinthians. He'll say, God indeed was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And he has placed in us the, the word of reconciliation. So that was Christ's mission. And, and it's, it happens on the cross. So now, my dear brethren, Lent is the time to live out in a more marked manner that reconciliation, that turning away from sin and turning back to God. Look how our Lord repelled the very real temptations in the desert. Our Lord isn't play-acting. We read the passage, we think, ah, our Lord, he's just going along with it. But of course, he's conquered from the outset. No, our Lord is starving. He's exhausted. These temptations are very, very real. But that's a whole other sermon. How did he repel them? He repelled them through his 40 days of prayer and penance. So our Lent, if it's undertaken with seriousness and devotion, it will help us repel temptation and it will provide us with many opportunities to make reparation for our sins. We have to believe in the seriousness of our sins, my dear brethren. I don't know if anybody has read Father Sizek, He Leadeth Me, or With God in Russia, a Jesuit priest for over 20 years, uh, condemned to hard labor in a Russian gulag. Terrible experience. Well, that life, that sort of life, is more akin to what our lives should be like. Rather than this idea that we all entertain, that God should go leniently with his friends. He's got so few of them. Well, God's friends are those he looks to to help him in his great work of reconciling the world to himself. It's a gesture of divine friendship when the going is tough. When the weight, the burden of sin is felt, that means we are helping him carry his cross. So let's be generous to our Lord. Let's be, let, let, let our Lord be generous with us. Let his providence guide us. 
He seeks our humble submission and our readiness to serve, come what may. He has laid up for us so much glory and happiness, but he wants us to earn it. And, and thus he gives us opportunities for sacrifice and penance. Look at Our Lady. She was sinless. She didn't have to earn her glory in heaven. It was her birthright, her conception right. She who was immaculate from the outset. And yet, and yet, and yet, God would have her earn her place in heaven as well. So, so may, may, may Our Lady obtain for us the grace to always echo her own words, be it done unto me according to thy word. That's the remedy to sin. Be it un- done unto me according to thy word. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.